All right, so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and last week in chapter 4, the very end from verses 13 through 18, we have the most famous rapture passage that everyone across the board when it comes to eschatology agrees that that is talking about the rapture and the return of Christ. He has just got done uh, telling them about these things and wherefore comfort one another with these words. And then in chapter 5, he says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. So the times and seasons of what? I think it's safe to assume of what he was just talking about of the return of Christ. When the dead in Christ are going to rise first. When Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds where we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. There's no doubt that that's what he's talking about. And I have to point this out to all of you because you would be amazed at some of the messed up, twisted things people do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to try to make a lot of this not about the return of Christ or the rapture because it messes up their eschatology. And when, uh, many people today, when you listen to just some of these frustrating you know, uh, explanations of passages, just understand when a pre-tribber studies any passage of Scripture, they study it in light of the fact that they know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the rapture is before the tribulation. But the, here's the problem with that. They're wrong. And so if in the, you know, so they end up just butchering the passage. Now, tonight, when we, we're going to get to a passage of Scripture that I'm just going to be honest. I don't particularly care for my explanation of it. But my explanation is assuming that we are right, that the return of Christ, where he comes in the clouds with his saints, that we've been seeing in 1 Thessalonians, and I've been showing you, that is our rapture, that that event is not what we see at Armageddon, where Jesus is coming with the saints. I believe those are two separate events. I plan on preaching a message pretty soon, uh, just kind of laying all the details out on that, not ready to do that just yet. But at the same time, I do believe that the rapture and Jesus Christ returning at Armageddon are different events. Now, there is a verse in Revelation that that kind of cre- there's a kind of creates a problem for us. And I have a way that I interpret that, but it's under the assumption that we are right that the rapture and Armageddon are different events. But here's the thing, here's the difference between me and the pre-tribbers. I will admit that my interpretation is based on an assumption that I'm right on something else. They don't do that. They just go and just mangle these scriptures and, and it's under the assumption they're right when they're wrong. And they, but the thing is they won't admit it's under the assumption we're right or that they're right. They won't, they won't admit that. And so you just listen to them say these things and it's like, what is wrong with you? This is a horrible explanation. And so notice here in verse 1, he's saying, you know, the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And it's the times and seasons for the coming of Christ. Now, why is that? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So he's saying there's no point in me writing about the times and seasons and the things that signal that because the coming of Christ or the day of the Lord It comes as a thief in the night, meaning you don't expect it. When a thief comes, he does not give you signs that he's coming, does he? He doesn't call you up saying, any day now. he, He doesn't do anything like that. He doesn't let you know that his coming is imminent. He doesn't do that. He comes when you least expect it. That's the point of coming as a thief in the night. And the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. There's no doubt about that. He just told us this here. And he said, you know this perfectly, that the day of Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, this is why they need to make the coming with his saints that we see in 1 Thessalonians 3 separate from the coming with his saints that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4. They've got to do this because we know that the rapture takes place after the tribulation based on Matthew 24. We know that that happens after the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun should be darkened. The moon should not give her light. We all, we all know that. And there, we also know in Revelation 6 that the sun being darkened and moon turning to blood, that happens after the sixth seal or on the sixth seal. 
We also know that the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. So there's no doubt the sixth seal comes before the day of the Lord. There's no doubt about that. And if our rapture comes after the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood, then that creates a problem for pre-tribbers, doesn't it? So they've decided, though, Matthew 24 can't be talking about the rapture. That's talking about Jesus coming with his saints at Armageddon. But no, Christ coming with the saints most of the time in the Bible is talking about the rapture. And it's exactly what it's talking about in First Thessalonians. And we've proved that in more ways than necessary. But they do. They want to separate it because if the coming for his saints, if all the references to the coming of Christ so far have been about the rapture, then it would be a huge stretch to say all of a sudden we're talking about a different event here. When the whole time we've been talking about one event and then all of a sudden he changes the subject here. So it helps if you can say they talked about multiple comings earlier in the book, but they didn't. It's been the same event the whole time. And their problem is they're interpreting this, assuming they're right about the pre-trib and assuming that the day of the Lord is not the rapture. They are assuming that, but they are wrong. They cannot prove that. And, you know, they just need to, they need to at least admit when they're interpreting this passage is like, well, that's the way I have to interpret it because I know that the rapture is pre-trip. It's like, well, hope you're right because otherwise you're butchering a lot of other passages. And, and I'm assuming that we're right when it comes to the rapture and Armageddon being different events. But so I'm at least honest enough to admit that some, this explanation, it might not be satisfactory for everybody, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So verse 3 says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So now here's the question. When are they going to say this? When are they going to say peace and safety? Because we don't have, as far as I know, a direct quote from the Old Testament or anywhere else in the Bible where they're saying when they say peace and safety, that's when Jesus Christ is going to come back. I think what Paul is doing is Paul is just using this phrase to illustrate how Christ's coming is going to be when they least expect it. I think that's what he's doing right here, like a thief in the night. So when they say peace and safety, when they think everything's fine, boom, that's when he's going to come. And then they're, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be shocked. You know. Now, it could be, it's possible, if I wanted to impress you tonight, I could act like it's some obscure reference to something taught by Daniel, you know, relating to like his confirming of a covenant with many. This is talking about when they make that peace treaty. One of these days, they're going to make a peace treaty to the Middle East. They've been making peace treaties there for a long time now. And every time they do, the pre-tribbers all get all excited. You know, you know, Trump is about to blow. You know, you could say that that's it. But, you know, here, here's the funny thing about it. Either way, you spin things. We always make today's situation point to the coming of Christ, don't we? Because if we hear about wars, wars and rumors of wars, it's almost here. Yeah, but they, uh, they just declared a peace treaty. When they say peace and safety, then it's like, you know, we've always got a verse that goes with whatever we want. We've always got something to make it seem like it's imminent. You know, we right now we're seeing that. You know, mask, mark, one letter difference, can't buy or sell. We've all been saying that, right? And, and you know, and one of these days, it's actually going to be it. You know, it's actually going to mean something. But everybody's always interpreting things based on their situation because we want Jesus Christ to return. But we don't get to go butchering scriptures and then declaring this doctrine. One of these days, a peace treaty is going to come along. And when the peace treaty comes, that's when we're going to be about out of here. Well, not necessarily. You know, not, not necessarily. I think Paul's just basically saying it's just going to come when they least expect it. So uh, when things are crazy, we say it's a sign of the end times. And when things get easy, we can say it's a sign of the end times. Because, you know, because maybe that's what's going to happen. You know, after this, you know, $1.9 trillion stimulus bill solves everybody's problems and everybody's relaxed and they tell you, all right, folks, it's time to go back to normal. No forced, you know, vaccinations, you know, everything's open. Well, that's going to just kill, you know, all of us, you know, that's going to steal all our thunder who's acting like it's a sign of, you know, the Antichrist and all that. But we can, we can still spin it when they say peace and safety. You know, this is when you got to be careful 
When they, everybody thinks it's fine, the rest of you all, you're all happy because everything's back to normal. You got all this cash in your bank now, thanks to Biden. You've got all these things, but they're just trying to deceive you, trying to get you to fall asleep. And this just means rapture's about to come. And you know what? You know, I'm, I'm just going to quit my job and sell everything and just, you know, wait for the rapture. This is about to happen. That's just dumb. I hate to break it to you folks, but you realize it took, there was, we were here for 4,000 years before the New Testament came along. We might get 4,000 years under the New Covenant. I hope not. But, I, you know, I still can't figure out. Here's one end times thing I cannot figure out. This is one question I have, and I hope there's something in the Bible. I'm looking for it. I hope I find it one of these days. But I don't know the answer to this question. And that is, why in the world are we even still here? Because when you see what all was going on in the first century and all the people that got saved, it just seems like things are getting worse. And it's like, why are we still here? I, it seems like Jesus should have come a long time ago. It really does. And I don't, I, I can't figure out biblically why in the world we've needed 2,000 years under this new covenant. It's not like we're accomplishing much. It's not like the world's getting better or anything. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. But... So uh, let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 4. So it says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Okay, Christ, you know, he's coming. He's not coming on a thief like for on those who are ready. Because, again, the day of the Lord is almost always associated with the negative. It's almost always associated with judgment and trouble. And so when they are, when the world is overtaken, it's going to be a bad thing. Like when that thief comes, it's not a good thing when a thief comes. But when Christ comes for us, he's not like overtaking us to judge us. He's pulling us out of here. He's rapturing us out of here. So it's not going to be like it is for the world. And so Christ, he's coming, you know, he's not coming on a thief like those who are ready, but those who are not ready. Okay. So, cause here's the whole point of this message. We're supposed to be ready for the coming of Christ today. I don't care if we're post-trib. We should still be ready for the coming of Christ today. And that's what really what 1 Thessalonians 5 is all about. Most of this chapter is not so much laying out prophetical events, even though I do want to cover some stuff. But it's more about practical daily living things that I want to focus on. But let me show you a few things about the day of the Lord. All right, so first off, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and all the works that are therein, shall be burned up. So there's a lot of negative there. And it talks about the day of the Lord, saying it's going to come as a thief. Now, in Revelation 3, I, I don't believe that this exact prophecy here is a reference to the coming of Christ. I think it was a direct prophecy to this specific church. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. He says, remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So he's telling them, if you don't watch, I'll come on you as a thief. So in other words, if they do watch, he won't come on them as a thief. Isn't that a safe assumption? I mean, as a parent, if you tell your child, if you do this, you're getting spanked, then doesn't that imply if they don't do that, they won't get spanked? So Christ is not coming as a thief on those who are watching. They're going to be fine. They're not going to be in trouble. But here's the verse that's kind of a problem, okay, is Revelation 16. And in Revelation 16, in verse 14, it says, For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. No doubt that's talking about Armageddon. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame, and he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So right here, we've got Jesus coming as a thief, and it talks about Armageddon. Now, that kind of messes up some of our theology, doesn't it? You know, for those of us who are just pre-wrath and not, we're not post-wrath people. But let me give you my explanation of what that is, because I am, I am assuming that those are in fact different events. Okay. I'm assuming that, and I am, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're right on that. If, if we're not, there's a lot of questions I need answered, but 
One thing we need to understand, the book of Revelation is something that's written from John's perspective. He was told in chapter 1, we're not, I don't have time to read all Revelation, but in chapter 1, he was told by Jesus to write down the things that he saw. In chapters 1 and 2 and 3, we see the words of Jesus. In most of your Bibles, the words of Jesus are probably in red. And John is writing down what Jesus said. Okay, he, And it would say, and he said, it would, it would be giving direct quotes from him. And then he would write down what he heard Jesus say. We do, after chapter 3, we do not see the words of Jesus again until chapter 16. And, what's, and then in chapter 21 and 22, we see words of Jesus again, but it's going back to him writing quotes, talking about how Jesus said, and then he would write down what Jesus said. But what's interesting about chapter 16, it's just interjected. It doesn't say, and Jesus said, it's just something that's kind of interjected in there. Okay, so go ahead and go to, go to Revelation 16. I need to turn over there real quick. Let me show you something in here that I think will help us understand exactly what's going on here because John is literally writing down the things that he saw and then all of a sudden, just boom out of nowhere, we have a quote from Jesus. So what's going on here? Why is this going? So first, let's do this. Let's read John six, or Revelation 16, 14, and 16 together. Let's skip verse 15 for a second. All right. So it says, For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So notice this, as it's going through these trumpets and through these vials, it's showing all these judgments that's coming on the world. And these judgments, ultimately what they're doing, and these events that we're seeing here in chapter 16, are bringing the armies of the world to Armageddon. That's what's going on when all this stuff is happening with God's wrath. All these events are leading people to Jerusalem so this great battle can take place with Jesus Christ where he treads the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath. That's what we see with the seven vials. And the, the seven vials are the vials of God's wrath. Each of those vials are ultimately used to bring everyone to this moment, referred to here, of this great battle. This is something you do not want to be here. And the great day, and the, and, you know, and so what we're seeing with the vials, it's all about that great day of God Almighty. But there's many events, there's many judgments that lead to that, that bring the world to that place. And so what I personally think is going on right here is this isn't really Jesus. I don't believe Armageddon would be Jesus coming on this earth as a thief. Because think about this. After the seven trumpets and after all these vials of supernatural events, after the sixth seal, when they're saying, hide us from the face of the Lamb, him that, or him that sitteth upon the throne and of the wrath of the Lamb, after Jesus has come in the clouds and every eye has seen him, how in the world would all of a sudden Armageddon be him coming as a thief? When all those vials are coming on this earth and people are blaspheming God for what they're doing, how is then all of a sudden Armageddon, Jesus coming on them as a thief? You see what I'm saying? And I personally believe that him coming as a thief, it starts with the rapture. It starts with him pouring out his wrath it's just, it ends, but it all ends and is finished at Armageddon. And so when we see this, uh, what was written here in Revelation 16 about the armies being gathered together for the battle of that great day of God Almighty, and then Jesus interjects and says, behold, I, I come as a thief. He's basically just warning everybody, you don't want to be here for this. You don't want to be on earth when all this stuff is going on. You don't want to be on earth at that battle of the great day of God Almighty. And so I don't think that this necessarily has to mean that Christ coming at Armageddon is, his, is him coming as a thief. And the thing is, too, if it's when they say peace and safety, okay, they don't usually gather an army together for a massive, you know, the armies of the earth don't usually gather together when there's peace and safety. They usually do that when they're fixing to fight and when they're ready for war. So do you see how that doesn't really make sense either? So I, you know, so, you know, that's my explanation of why that's interjected right there 
is he's just basically telling people, we've been reading about all these vials. We've been reading about all these horrible judgments. All these horrible judgments are ultimately leading to this place at Armageddon that the prophets have been prophesying about from the beginning of time. And folks, you don't want to be here. Blessed is he that, you know, that's watching and ready, that keepeth his garments. You don't want to be here during the period of God's wrath. And what you need to do is make sure you're saved before that time comes. So uh, that's a brief explanation. I do plan on saying more about the differences, you know, between uh, Christ coming with the saints at Armageddon, his coming with the saints in the clouds. But at the same time, I did want to at least cover that part of it. And, you know, I'll admit it's, it's not as straightforward as I would like. It doesn't, you know, sometimes the Bible doesn't just lay things out as plain as I would like it to. So, you know, you know, in a way that would help me win my arguments with people. But at the same time, um, you know, I'll admit it when it's just not super clear. And I'll admit it if maybe that explanation is not the best. And um, But I think it beats any pre-trib <laughs> explanation. We've always got the pre-tribbers beat. I'm not trying to lower the bar. Uh, on interpreting interpreting anything, but but e- either way, uh, so verse five says, "Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love." And for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So, what is exactly does it mean to not sleep and to watch? Because we we're warned about that over and over again. We see that in uh, in in, um, in the Gospels, you know, in the Olivet Discourse, how we're told to watch. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. We are supposed to be ready. And and how do we do that? You know, is it is it a matter of just getting saved? Well, there's no way that's it. Because if it's a matter of just getting saved, then why does Paul even need to tell these people? Because they were clearly were already saved. It, God wants us purifying ourselves. God wants us being good Christians. When Jesus Christ returns, we want to be in a good place spiritually at that time. We want to be doing the things that God told us to do. We're like that. Uh, porter who was commanded to watch when his master went on a long journey. And the last thing we want is when the master returns, us to not be ready, us to be sleeping on the job, not doing what we've been called to do. And a lot of people do. They have this attitude. Well, when I start thinking it's going to get close, that's when I'm going to finally start doing something. And that's one of the things the pre-tribbers hate about what we teach is they think that teaching a post-trib doctrine is going to make everybody lazy in their Christianity. I'll start being a good Christian, you know, when I, whenever I start seeing the seals broken. Well, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I, and I, I think I said this on Wednesday or last week, I believe we are always going to have to have faith. I, I'm not convinced that when it's all going down, we're going to be 100% sure. I think there'll be reason to doubt during that time. I think when the mark of the beast is being implemented, I have no doubt in my mind that people that we think are good Christians are going to be telling people, don't worry about it, folks. This isn't the mark of the beast. I believe that with all my heart, that we will hear people saying that, people that we thought were saved, people that we trusted saying, this isn't it. This isn't this. This isn't it. It'll probably be a lot of pre-trimmers because we know we're still here. Therefore, it can't be it. But, but either way, I, I do believe you're going to have to have faith all the way to the very end. And there's a lot of evidence for that. I don't have time to get into that. But uh, basically what it means to not sleep and to watch is just worse. We need to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're, while things are challenging, we need to have a sober attitude knowing that what we do is important and we know Jesus is coming back. And we should be sober too because, you know, because even though we won't be here during God's wrath, we should care about those who haven't been saved yet. That's another reason we need to be sober about these things. We don't want to just have this, I'll be gone attitude while we just watch the world fall apart. You know, we need to have the attitude that, you know what, I'm mean, i glad I'm going to be gone when the wrath of God starts being poured out on this earth. But you know what? There's a lot of people I know and I love and I care about who won't be gone when that comes. So, you know, let's take this serious. You know, let's have a sober attitude 
when it comes to these things and not just act like we can be all carefree just because we're saved and not appointed to wrath. And so verse 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's another thing that's funny about this too, another area where the pre-tribbers get themselves in trouble, is we've been talking about the day of the Lord, haven't we? We've been talking about the day of the Lord, and we know that that day of the Lord is a time of God's wrath, but then the pre-tribbers will come along and tell you, we've not been appointed unto wrath, and you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 is proof that we're not here for any of the tribulation. Okay, then you just admitted the day of the Lord is the rapture. Anytime they try to do that and say that the day of the Lord is the rapture, and then they go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to prove that we're out of here before the day, then they're admitting that's the rapture. So they're, you know, they're being very two-faced in their interpretation of this. But, you know, I do agree with them. We're not here for God's wrath. It's just you haven't shown me anywhere where the tribulation is God's wrath. Just like we see with this church, they were literally in tribulation. And God didn't spare them from it. God just helped them get through it. God helped them overcome it. We see in 1 Thessalonians 2.16, talking about the Jews, it says, Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. We have, and this church specifically, that Paul's writing to had a very different end coming from the ones who were persecuting them. This church is being persecuted by the Jews during that time. And Paul is letting them know, you guys have a completely different end coming. Yeah, right now they're messing with you. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to destroy them. They are going to be, judgment has come upon them to the uttermost. They are, or wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But you, on the other hand, that's not God's appointment for you. You've been appointed to obtain salvation. You're going to be spared from that wrath to come. And that had to be comforting to them to know that they had a very different ending. I'm, th- I'm thankful when, you, know, it, you might think I'm terrible for this, but whenever we're persecuted, okay, whenever our church has been persecuted, especially when we got persecuted by the homos, it made me feel good to know that, you know what, our end is going to be a lot different than theirs. A lot different. Even a lot of these trendies that want to mess with our church and per- persecute our church, our end is going to be a lot different than theirs. There's no doubt about that. And you know what? That's why it, it is. It's almost better to let them run their mouth right now. It's just going to make the fall that much worse when it comes on them. So let them keep being arrogant. Let them keep being cocky because somebody's going to, you know, one of these days Jesus is going to come back and while they've been running down, running to the end zone, showing off, holding the ball backwards and dancing around, Jesus is going to come like a massive linebacker and just smash them on the one yard line. And it's going to be pleasant to watch. Hey, listen, folks, you say, oh, I don't think we're going to have that attitude. There's a reason we're all praising the Lord when all this stuff is going on. There's a reason that we're all doing that. You know, everybody acts like we're just so terrible when we have this attitude. But you all realize we see in the book of Revelation that martyrs are literally up in heaven asking how long before you avenge us. These are people in heaven looking for Jesus to judge them, judge the earth and judge the people who destroyed them. It is a righteous thing. For us to want these people to be destroyed. Yes, we would prefer they get saved. You know, we would prefer some of our persecutors get saved. But if they're not going to get saved, then you know what? Even so, come, Lord. Isn't that what John said after he... John saw all these things in Revelation. You know, he said, even so, come. He was anxious to see it. He wanted to see Jesus Christ come back. Well, didn't he know that millions and millions of people are going to die? He didn't care. They have it coming. It's, it, it's a, it is okay. It is a righteous thing. Don't let these people make you feel bad for wanting God's will to be done in these areas. It's all right. So verse 10 says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So whether we make it to the coming of Christ you know, or not, we will live with him someday. And I think when he's talking about sleeping here, it's the sleeping that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, you know, those who were dead. And so whether we are alive at Christ's return or whether we are asleep, 
We're going to be with them. So again, comforting us with the fact that we are going to be here. And folks, there's no doubt too, that right here when he's saying whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. This is a reference to the rapture right here. This whole thing has been about the rapture. This is not about something, an event that takes place seven years after the rapture. All this here, it's talking about the same event. So what we're seeing here in the rest of this chapter are basically just great instructions that Paul is giving to a church facing persecution. And I think all of these are good instructions to follow, you know, even if things are going good. But at the same time, you know, let, you know, I think it's important we look at these things in light of what was going on because it's during difficult times like this too where we really need this stuff. I don't think we ever want to let up on any of these things, but we especially need these things when times are tough. So look what it says in verse 11. It says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. This is one of the reasons that we go to church. Most of us in here, and I, some of you might be super spiritual and be fine on your own, but most of us in here, we probably wouldn't be very good Christians without church. I, I'm, I just, I believe that. I don't think most of us, in fact, you know, you could make a good argument to say none of us would be good Christians, period, because part of just being a Christian is edifying the brethren, you know, assembling together. But I'm just talking about even just being a decent, godly, moral person. Most of us probably would not do too well without church. We all need that encouragement. We need people who challenge us. We need preaching that, you know, steps on our toes and gets on our sin. So we will, you know, to help keep us convicted about sin in our life. And if we're not in church, we're going to end up getting ourselves in trouble. And so Paul is telling these people here too, and I've shown evidence throughout this book, this was a young church, and they probably were a little carnal in a lot of areas. Paul is writing to them like they are young, immature Christians. And so he is he's given them instructions here, and he's doing it in a way too that's very good to do with young Christians. He's not just rebuking them for stuff they're doing wrong. But he's telling them, hey, this is something you need to do. And he's letting them know where they're doing good, too. And isn't that something you want to do with your kids when your kids are learning and they're trying something? You know, you don't just want to tell them what they did wrong. You want to tell them what they did good, too. And that way they'll keep doing that. And and even if you tell them they're doing good, you know, a lot of times, too, you know it could be even better. And so you you say that to encourage them, but also to motivate them to keep it up and keep doing it more. And that's what Paul's doing right here. In verse 11, when he's saying, comfort yourselves and edify one another, even as also you do. So they were doing this, so he's letting them know, hey, I know what you're doing here. Keep that up. This is important. This is one of the reasons we go to church. He says in verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now, as a pastor, I'd love to spend the rest of the sermon just on this part right here, but he's telling you, know, you need to know them that labor among you. They're, they're over you more. You ought to know the leadership of your church. You know how many times we talk to people who are out souling, we ask them what church they go to, and they can't even tell you the name of the church or the name of the pastor? Like, man, you must not go to that church very much. You know, I, I'm glad you claim that church, but, you know, you, you know, you ought to be in a little more involved to where you know the pastor. It's, it's an important thing that you know the leadership. They labor among you. He says to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And I, I know sometimes in the Baptist world especially, um, you know, this celebrity preacher culture has crept in a lot of these churches, especially in a lot of big churches. I don't think that's right. I think it's real easy to put pastors up on pedestals way too high. They get too big for their britches. Ultimately, it leads to their fall. You know, that's, and that's one subject for another day. But, you know, at the same time, too, you know, I don't think you can do a whole lot of damage by just loving somebody a lot. I don't, I don't think you're going to do a whole lot of damage there. I'm not telling y'all to, you know, build a statue of me, make a shrine of me. I've always refused, one thing I refuse to do is I won't even, I, I, we said from the beginning, I'm not even going to do the thing where we put the big picture of me and my wife in the foyer. Have you ever been to a church where they do that? Is that a sin? No, but it creeps me out. You know, I, I don't, I don't like it. And I've been to some church before where they had like big ones, and it's like the greater, you know, the greater the eye of the pastor, the bigger the picture and stuff. And when we were just getting ready to start this church, we went and visited a church, and 
they had that in the foyer, and I just remember I saw that, and I was, I remember my wife, when we were talking about we're leaving, we're like, yeah, we're not doing that in our church. We're, we're not, we're not going to do that, and uh, I don't know, maybe I should have been doing these things all the time. It's worked out pretty good for some of these guys. You know, and I just, let me get on this for a second, too, because some of these people, too, that do this stuff, too, I noticed them tweeting an awful lot of pictures of them out fishing on their boats and things and all this stuff that I can't afford. I don't know, maybe there's something to getting the people worshiping you. You know, they give you more money and all that kind of stuff to do all these great things. But I don't know. There's just something in the Bible I remember reading one time about not being lords over God's heritage, being an example to the flock, not doing this for filthy lucre. And so I, I, just, I can't get past that Bible. And it's, it's, it's really, I think, stopping my opportunities to really take advantage of some folks. But <laughs> And a lot of people are getting away with it. it, it they, they really are. But, you know, it, it, you know, yeah, the truth is, I don't think you can ever damage somebody by loving them too much. Again, putting them on too high of a pedestal, because the truth is, too, one of the things that helps keep all of us in line is knowing that people love us. To know when, when you know people truly do care about you and that, you know, you matter to them, that motivates us to want to stay right. And so we can. I think you can go way too far when it comes to glorifying somebody, putting them up on a pedestal. But I don't think you can mess anybody up by just loving them too much. And so esteeming them highly in love, I don't think is a dangerous thing. Uh, I, I hope everybody loves me and I hope you all love each other here. I hope we all esteem each other very highly in love. We will do ourselves well as a church if we love each other. In fact, we've been commanded to do that. So uh, I, I'm not going to get freaked out about preaching for people to love their pastor, but I will get a little freaked out about some of the uh, over-the-top things people are doing in churches for their pastor. I think some of that's pretty creepy, but um, we should have a special place for those in our hearts to those who minister to us in spiritual things. And he said, it doesn't even have to be, a, it can be somebody else in the church. It's just a spiritual blessing. Somebody who's, somebody who encourages you. You, know, you ought to love that person. You know, it's normal too. You know, even in the online world today, you have people that you're able to listen to preaching from people you don't even go to their church. And if they're being a blessing to you, you know, it's pretty normal if you love that person, you care about that person. And you want to know something that's not normal? People who they like hear preaching from somebody and they're encouraged, they're blessed. Sometimes they even get saved. And then later, they're just attacking them online. Weird. Weird stuff. And listen, you know, every once in a while I'll come across like one of my videos from like three years ago or something. And it's funny when I'll go and I'll, I'll be kind of looking at some of the comments and I'll like see all these people praising me on there who like hate my guts now. It's just like, that was weird, you know. And then I'm trying to think, what changed? I mean, literally, what changed? Uh, and I, I don't want to start like tattling on some of these YouTubers and stuff, but you would it would just blow your mind. Some of the things that have literally gotten people to go from singing my praises to labeling me a false prophet. So it's like, you people are crazy. I, I'm just going to assume you're one of these YouTube-only Christians because there is no way you are going to, somebody is weird and is, you know, bipolar, two-faced, schizophrenic, whatever is you are, is going to make it in any normal church. That, that is really really weird. And let me tell you something, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, okay? Preachers who have ministered to me and blessed me and been a spiritual encouragement to me, you know what? I still love them, even if they've done some bad things. And you know what? I can't help it. Get over it. You know what? I can't help it that if somebody, I, I don't appreciate some of the things that Kent Holman's taught and the things he's done lately. But let me tell you something. If I ever got to meet that man in person, I would be kind to him. I would be respectful to him. You know, I can't help it because I love the guy. I, I grew up listening to him and listening to his creation stuff, and it just it, it meant a lot to me. And you know what? I see a lot of people just anxious. to, And, and I'll, I'll call out junk that he's preaching. But you know what? I'm going to do it kind of with a tear in the eye and with love in my heart because I can't. I just can't turn off love like that. I can't do it. You know, I could name... There's a lot of people out there like that that have just, they, you know, they've been a blessing to me. I, I don't like what they've done, but I just, I'm sorry. I just, I can't turn that stuff off. And it is so weird. It really does. It, it weirds me out 
when people do that kind of thing. And I don't think it's, I just don't think it's a very Christian attitude. I, I really don't. Even if, even if they end up being a false prophet, I'll, you know, I'll call it out. But can I be sad about it? Do I, ha- do I have to enjoy it? Do I have to make a video making fun of them and mocking them? Or can I, can I bypass that? Can I, can I just call out the junk and, um, you know, I, I don't want to start naming a whole lot of people, but, you know, there are, there's, there's a lot of examples out there like that. And they've, they've been a blessing. Okay. You know, guys like, uh, SM Davis, man, I hated it when he started preaching that weird, born that way stuff. But, you know, man, I listened to a lot of his preaching when I was a teenager. It influenced me a lot. Guys like Keith Gomez, uh, I, I, I appreciate the part these guys played in my life. And you know what? I don't feel like hating on these people. I, I just, I don't feel like doing that because, you know, they, they've been a blessing and I, it, you know, I did esteem them very highly in love and you don't just turn that time. You just don't turn that kind of thing off. And it's weird when people are able to do it. It makes me question whether or not they ever loved them at all. You know, are you sure they didn't just entertain you? Are you sure that you didn't like them because you heard their opinion coming out of, or your opinion coming out of their mouth? I think that's why you liked them. I think that's probably the real reason. And I think we, I think a lot of people need to work on that attitude. It's really weird. So, um, verse 14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Let's try to help those who just aren't very good Christians and be patient. You know, unfortunately, just because somebody gets saved doesn't mean they're going to turn on, you know, become super Christian right away. You're going to have to warn the unruly. Some people just have bad behavior. We got to deal with them. We got to warn them, but we got to be patient with them. We need to comfort the feeble-minded. You have some people that just kind of get blown around and they're always back and forth on everything. They're just not real settled on a lot of things. They're not real settled on a lot of doctrine. You know what we need to do? We need to comfort those people. We need to help them. We need to try to encourage them and be willing to just put up with some stuff. That's part of what we do as a Christian, support the weak. Some people just quit at everything. Some people, they just give up easy. They're just, they're not very strong. So you know what we do? We support them. That's what we do as Christians. We don't just go and cast them aside. You know, we ought to, you know, I get it. We're in a battle. But you know what we don't want to do in a battle is just go and just trip our wounded soldiers. You know what they used to do? They'd pick those guys up and they'd carry them to safety. Sometimes risking their own lives and doing that, but they cared about their fellow soldiers. And we've got fellow Christians that are weak, they're maimed, they're wounded, and you know what they need? They need help. But most Christians today, we're the first ones. We see them limping along while we're running along just fine. It's like, what's wrong with them? And instead of helping them, it's like we kick them in the leg. I, I don't get that. I don't get that kind of thing. You know what? When you do that kind of thing, I think you're just out to prove something about yourself because you're phony. And I think that's why you like exposing every other Christian that has some kind of problem. It's like if we can keep all the focus on somebody else, chances are spotlight's not going to end up on you. And it's like, you know, it's coming for you eventually. And folks, just mark it down. These people that just are so anxious and get so excited every time someone gets exposed and they're always just anxious to pounce on anyone that messes up. They are someone who knows it's coming for them eventually. And every day the mob is chewing on the carcass of someone else is a day they're not chewing on them. Just mark it down, put these people on a list, and just know these are not good people. It's coming for them one of these days. Well, let me tell you something about good Christians. You know what they do? They try to help those. They're patient with people. They're not too quick to just go throwing people in hell, label them reprobate, whatever. That is not a good Christian attitude. It says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man. Um but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. We do not have time to go out settling scores with people. We don't have time. We have better things to do. And, you know, I, I, I'm very thankful the day I finally came to the point in my life. I was like, you know what? I don't have to settle scores with everybody that's done me wrong. I don't have time to settle scores on YouTube and stuff with everybody that said something negative about me out there. There's just too many now. 
You know, early on you tried keeping up with that stuff, and then I just I finally just gave up. I'm like this is stupid. This is just this is stupid. I can't keep up. Oh, but what if people believe this person? You know what? If people really care, they can call me up and they can ask me. I just I just don't even care anymore. Right, Pastor Tommy, did you see this video? Did you see what people are saying out there about you? No, and I'd rather not look. Um, what, what if somebody believes it? Most of the stuff I'm seeing, if people believe it, it's just because they want to believe it. And that, that and I, I don't have time to go settling scores. I don't. They're hurting your popularity in the IFB. I was never that popular to begin with, anyway. So, oh well. What I, what I what do I want? Do I want to get invited to all the big conferences and get the big love offerings so I can become corrupt and lame like half of these people are? Going around preaching my canned message where I'm doing the same junk over and over again. I was saying that prayer with Brother Austin this morning during Sunday school. I, I can quote that entire prayer he was talking about. I can do it. Yeah, it's uh, one of these days, man, I'm going to one of those meetings. And I'm, I'm just going to break out right there, and I'm going to say it with them. And it's, it's, that's not right. That's not good. But I do have it on video where during a live stream, during a live stream, I said that prayer verbatim. People on YouTube have no idea what I'm talking about. It's none of your business. But, uh, but I, I verbatim. Did it. I mean, I did every dramatic thing. I did every pause. I nailed it. Say, how did you do that? Because it's fake. Anybody can memorize a script. Anybody can, with some practice, can say that script very well. And I have learned how to say it just like him. It, it, I don't know, man. Stuff like that's wrong. It's not, it's not good. We shouldn't be that way. Talking about repetitive, not, you know, maybe should make fun of people like that either. But I didn't name them publicly, so it's okay. <laughs> Verse sixteen. Let's just quickly go through these. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We all know that verse right there. But he's speaking specifically about a people who are being troubled, people who are being persecuted. When he says, for this is the will of God, most of the time when we say that and everything give thanks for this is the will of God, Christ Jesus concerning you, you know, that's because, you know, we're struggling with, you know, our car broke down and we're going to have a $500 car, you know, uh, repair bill. You know, that's our, you know, that's God's will and Christ Jesus concerning. And that, and that applies. That applies. But these people have people trying to kill them. These people are under real persecution. So just keep that in mind next time you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're saying this verse with tears in your eyes, you know, because of our little American problems that we have. But uh, what it says in verse 19, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. All of these things I think we could apply to preaching. I don't think we want to be quenching the spirit and the service. We don't want to, you know, despise the prophesying and hate the preaching. We want to prove what is being preached. We don't want to just go along with anything that's said. We're going to prove it and we're going to hold fast to that which is good. Meaning if something's wrong, if something's, if there's a mistake, then we just throw that out. You know, chew up the meat, spit off the bones. As you hear people say, um, abstain from all appearance of evil and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Thankfully, we are going to be acceptable at the coming of Christ. And at the end of the day, it's not going to be because of what we've done in our work, but because of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, he is what is going to make us acceptable. We will be preserved. Now, some people, they're going to get in by the skin of their teeth. They're going to be saved, yet so as by fire. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we can't do some things ourselves, you know, to be like Christ, showing that we're looking for his coming. But one way or the other, whether you have works or not, you know, you will be taken up in the rapture. An angel's not going to come along and be like, ah, not, not quite enough. You know, you made a church one more time, you'd be good. But no, if you're saved, you're going up. If you're saved, you're going up. But I, I do believe that we will be ashamed if we have not been serving God and doing his will. So it says, brethren, pray for us 
Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I think we can interpret that into a handshake today. You know, ultimately the command here is just greeting each other. You know, be friendly. And we don't kiss each other in America. All right. I, but we do greet each other. In America, you go around kissing people, you're going to have a problem. And, and here too, but I, I think we're obedient to this. It says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. And I think this is strong evidence that Paul knew when he, that he was writing scripture when he wrote this. He commended them too for accepting his words as the words of the Lord. And I, I do believe Paul understood he was writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he commanded this to, that this be read in all the churches to all the holy brethren. I think he knew that this was the word of God when he was writing. I've heard some people say, oh, they didn't know they were writing the word of God when they wrote it. Well, I think sometimes they did. I definitely think Paul did here. And so it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The, and then my Bible says the first epistle to the Thessalonians was written from Athens. So basically what we just finished reading here was a letter to a group of new Christians going through persecution. And it's important that we learn from these things because it will probably be us before too long. You know, and it's, it's, we better be ready for these things. So we should be doing all these things that he talked about here in chapter five right now. Right now, things are pretty good for us. But at the same time, too, we should also be thinking about those that it is not good for. You know, thank God, you know, we live in America. And even living in America, thank God, we don't live in California. You know, we don't live in New York and some of these places where it's really bad. Or even in Illinois and Chicago. You know, thank God we're in Rock Falls. But you know what? Just because things are good here, that's not time for us to just get all relaxed. Everything's fine when we have brethren suffering in other places. We ought to be thinking about them. We ought to keep them in our prayers. We ought to do whatever we can to lift them up and to encourage them. We don't want to have a real, a, you know, such a self-centered attitude just because things are fine for us. And true, the truth is too, when we're paying attention to things that are going on in other places and the challenges they have, it'll cause us to be grateful for our situation. And we should be grateful. And so I hope that uh, that letter helped. And so hopefully here in the near future, I'll, I might be waiting for that for April. I do want to hit Second Thessalonians, but a lot of good stuff in that letter. I hope so. With that, let's pray dear Lord. Thank you for your word and thank you for these instructions. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to prepare for your coming, Lord. Help us to keep these things in mind. And Lord, while it's easy and often we can uh, concentrate on prepping for just the challenges and that are uh, coming for our country, Lord, help us to be uh, more concerned about just prepping for your coming, knowing that uh, you're going to be here one of these days and you have expectations for, from us. And I pray you'll help us to live up to those things and that when you return, you will find us faithful, uh, serving you and doing your will. In your name we pray. Amen.